Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Amen. So good to hear your worship. Thank you for uh, thank you for participating. I'm sure the worship team wants you to give another amen to them. And yes, I'll always love hearing worship here at Whole Life. So really honored to be able to uh, share with you today and um, be here. Uh, I, I was, I'm trying not to say in place of, but I'm kind of in place of. Uh, of Pastor Ken, but just so I say it now, because I often forget these things towards the end of, of things, he will be back next week. Pastor Ken will be here next week. So I am, I am mini Ken today and uh, honored to step in and, and have an opportunity to share and uh, just honored to be able to share and been looking forward to this. So here's how we're going to roll. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ken did this. So I'm like, Hey, maybe I'll adopt that this week too. He's, he kind of told you what he was going to talk about. And then he talked about what he was going to talk about. And so, so this, that's how I'm going to roll too. So, um, I'm going to, I mean, we're going to be in Luke chapter four. So if you have the Bible app, you want to pull that up and follow along, it'll be on the screen. We're going to be in Luke chapter four, basically focused on verses 14 uh, through 30. And that'll be the section. I don't have time to read all of it, but we'll dive into a little bit of it. Then I'm going to introduce you to, as Tammy mentioned, it's African-American History Month. And I'm going to introduce you to um, a relative of mine. She's my grand aunt, at least according to Google. That's how you're supposed to refer to this person who is my father's aunt. She's my grand aunt. I kept calling her my great aunt, but apparently she's my grand aunt. So she's my grand aunt, and I cannot wait to share with you a bit of her story. And then at the end of my message, I want to give you a little bit of a charge, all right? And it might be slightly uncomfortable at moments during this message, I'm not going to lie, but we, there, where there is no discomfort, there is no growth. And so I, am, I pray that we'll all grow through this together. So Luke chapter 4, uh, and Jesus, here's a little bit of the context. So Jesus is um, coming off of or coming away from the temptation, right? And he makes his way to his hometown of Nazareth. Remember, he was born in Bethlehem, but grew up in Nazareth. And there's that saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So it was apparently not the greatest little town in the world, right? So Jesus heads back there, and he's on a bit of a speaking tour here here in Luke chapter 4. If you read through that section, he's on a bit of a speaking tour. He's been in Capernaum. He's been around the area. And now he comes to his hometown, and he's gonna, he's gonna speak in the synagogue. Now, this is, I mean, this is, in some ways, it's kind of high drama because it's the, it's the, it's the, the hometown kid returning to his hometown. He's gonna go in and give his first message at the hometown synagogue. And, and sure enough, Jesus goes into the synagogue. It's very fascinating too. If you look at the context of, of the, of the section, of this section of scripture, um, and you read it in contrast, compared to other sections of, that are in Luke, 
Luke actually understands the importance of Jesus stepping into the synagogue, about to announce the kind of the purpose and the focus and the agenda of his ministry. He understands what a powerful moment this is because the narrative literally decelerates when it gets to Jesus in the synagogue here. Really powerful. Prior to this, leading up to this, uh, Luke had skipped over months and even years. But he gets to this section where Jesus goes into the synagogue and it slows down. He's like, okay, people, people at Whole Life Church in 2022, lean in, listen, pay close attention because this is critical. And it was the same thing he was, they were, they were wanting to communicate back then. Hey, Jesus, this is a moment. This is a big moment that can't be missed. And so sure enough, Jesus gets up. They hand him the scroll from Isaiah and he shares these words from Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19. And it says this, I think I got them on the screen for you. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what, that's what Jesus gets up in front of the synagogue, and he reads Isaiah, and that's what he lays on them. Everybody's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's good, Jesus. That's, that's really good. Then Jesus, he continues in verse 20 and 21. So listen to this. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The, so it's like a mic drop moment. It's really great, right? The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, right? He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he, he told them before he said what he was going to say, that today this, what I'm about to read, is fulfilled in your hearing. And a couple of things stand out to me as Jesus says that. He's basically saying, this is who I am. I'm the very fulfillment of what Isaiah was talking about. And this is what I'm going to be about. I'm going to, I'm going to align myself with the poor and the marginalized. I'm going to align myself with those who are generally despised in society. Those are going to be the people I align myself with. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to be about. Take note. This is in fact what the kingdom of God is about. He just sort of lays it all out there. And again, everybody's kind of taking it in, but it causes a slight disruption because like if, you know, Jesus, I don't take this the wrong way. Jesus is an amazing preacher. But if it's me, I'm probably going to leave it there. Everybody's happy with me. Eh. You know, you preach a message like people, yeah, you're not like getting any bad emails. They're they're not texting your, your friends and saying, did you hear what he said? They're not like sharing it on Facebook and stuff, the message that you preach. But Jesus doesn't approach it that way. He continues and things get slightly heated because by, for, after this next section that, that he does, there's about five verses that Jesus sort of stirs things up. And by the end of it, they're ready to throw him off of a cliff. Now, I pray that that isn't the case here. I'm doing pretty good because we're in Florida. There are very many cliffs, amen, <laughs> right? Y'all could go throw me in the, in the beach or something in the ocean, but that's about it. There's no, but Jesus doesn't stop. He continues to preach because there's a dynamic that's happening here that, that Jesus recognizes. He understands that they don't believe him. They're not, they're not sold on this Jesus. 
there, there's certainly, there, there's a little, there's something going on here. And Jesus recognizes it. In fact, they're slightly irritated at the fact that Jesus had done all these miracles and all these things over in Capernaum and not in his hometown. Like, well, why don't you bring some of that love here, Jesus? But Jesus, Jesus addresses this because there's, there, the, the thing that's going on is that there's this deep, inseated unbelief that's going on. And Jesus is going to confront it. And he spends these verses just kind of going, you, a, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. That's what Jesus said. A prophet has no honor. There's a reason why Elijah and Elisha couldn't, couldn't work in their hometowns either. They were great prophets, but they couldn't even do it because you did not believe them. So they went to other people and this starts to stir. When you start to challenge people about what they, what they believe and how they believe and whoo, <laughs> there's two things. There's two, there are two false narratives that are fueling their unbelief. Two false narratives that are fueling their unbelief. And I want you to, I want you to hear what they are because Jesus also encountered them just prior to this episode when he was being tempted by Satan. He encountered the same false narratives. The first one is this. There's no way you are who you say you are. There's no way, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You're just that little kid from Nazareth. There's no way you are who you say you are. We know you've been getting a bit of press and there's a lot of hype around you, but we haven't seen it here. So there's no way you are who you say you are. They go to identity. What was the whole problem on, uh, with the temptation that's, the temptations that Satan threw, threw at Jesus? Who are you really? I mean, if you're really the one, you could just throw yourself off this building and, you know, that's the first false narrative that's fueling the unbelief of those who are, who are about to throw Jesus off the cliff. The second one is this. There's no way that you can do what you say that you can do. There's no way you can do what you say you can do. They go to his identity and his ability. Does that sound familiar? You ever met unbelief? You ever encountered unbelief? You ever encountered people who saw you? Know, well, you're not that. That's not your aptitude. <laughs> There's no way that's you right there. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. And you certainly can't do that. Uh-uh. The, you, the sky is not your limit, right? Right? So, so Jesus, and this is what's fueling it here. So what I want to do now is sort of take a turn, turn the corner just a little bit and try to begin to introduce you to my amazing grand aunt. Because we live in a culture and a time where I believe that there are, there are still those two major false narratives that fuel a lot of unbelief that, that also um, fuel a lot of racism, bigotry, and prejudice in our culture today. And you'll, you'll hear it. Um, if you listen closely, you'll hear it. Let me, so this is how I want to say it. It's um, in the ongoing struggle to combat racism, we face intense unbelief fueled by false narratives, false narratives that perpetuate racism, prejudice, and bias. Because here's the deal, right? And I'm just, I'm always just fairly transparent, y'all. Well, really transparent. I'm just going to tell you what I think, right? I know when we come to the month of February, it creates some slight awkwardness, right? And those of us that are people of color, those of us that are black and brown and, you know, African-American and, and, our, and then we have our white friends, right? And they're always like, well, what do I do? I've been Googling black people and I'm like, you know, 
do we talk about this? Do, we, do I say black? Do I say African-American? I mean, it's all, you know, it's, it's very awkward. So let me just put this out here. Breathe, whole life. It's okay. We're a family. We, we love each other and we can have some great conversations around the dinner table. There's no dinner table, but just invite us home. We'll talk about it, right? And so, but I do want to call some, some things out because there are these false narratives that are still running through our culture today. So let me get to my granddaughter. She's a wonderful lady. I spoke with her this week because I wanted to have kind of her story fresh in my mind. Um, her name is Sandra Johnson. And really where her, where her story kind of, um, uh, where it connects with history, African-American history, is that you may recall that when, um, that when segregated, when we were trying to desegregate schools, there's the Little Rock Nine. I actually grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. As a kid, I grew up, and I would, my grandmother lived about three or four blocks from Little Rock Central High School, all right? Little Rock Central High School. So I played on the campus as a kid. I would walk back and forth between the campus and my grandmother's house. So I'm very familiar with it. But she was, she was not part of the Little Rock Nine, but she was part of the Little Rock Five. The Little Rock Nine originally um, came along, and then she came along and joined them. So this is kind of like what the timeline looks like. And I want you to grasp the timeline. 1954, Brown versus Board of Education. That's when the country said, hey, we're going to desegregate schools because this is, this is not beautiful. This is not good. This is not good. But as you can pass a law, but then it's really, really hard, right, to actually see it happen. So, so the country was in turmoil, obviously, during these years. Then you had 1955, you had the brutal, disgusting murder of Emmett Till. You don't know about that. Google it, look at it, check it out. And then in 1957, right, you had Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. Then 1957, Little Rock Nine under Little Rock Central High School. You Google that, you see lots of images. That was an intense, crazy time, right? And then you look at, in 1959, so my, my grand aunt, Sandra Johnson, she, she knew that Brown V had happened. She knew that the, about the murder of Emmett Till, and she, she saw all the controversy around the 1957 Little Rock Nine, and she still decided that, hey, I'm going to go to Little Rock Central High School. I would have run the other way, friends. I would have been like, uh-uh, I'm not letting those, uh-uh. But she... um. She, she went to the school and she told me on the phone, she said, Hey, I wanted to be a part of social change. I wanted to engage. I wanted to be there. And uh, let me show you a little bit more about her and tell you about her experience there. And there are some words, right? There are some words here that aren't comfortable. So I'm probably not going to say them, but you can read them on the screen. At times, I did not know what was about to happen. And at other times, the abuse arrived like clockwork. Whenever the teachers left the room, I knew that I was going. This is our experience at Little Rock Central High School, one of five black students in the entire school. I knew that I was going to be hit with spitballs. I, actually, I could actually hear them tearing the paper as soon as the teacher walked out of the door. All I could do was sit there and helplessly trying to, helplessly trying to avoid showing any emotion from these attacks. Can you imagine? Name calling was all day, every day. Black, Piccaninny, Tar Baby, Coon, and my tormentors added a few more names in my case. White, White Monkey, White Freak, and Ugly. But she endured. She chose to, right? 
go to that school. Before I was accepted and allowed to enroll in Central High School, I had to be interviewed and make an appeal for entrance in front of the Little Rock School Board, as well as take a psychological test that no other white students were required to take. This is from her book, by the way, that she wrote just about three or four years ago, uh, White Skin, Black Soul. And I failed to mention that um, the, and you can, this will connect to why the, the quote uh, from the quote is that she was a very light-skinned African-American woman, beautiful woman, as you're going to see here in just a moment. And um, she was white passing. So very often she would, she, initially she would be treated as though she were white. And then people would figure out that she was African-American and, and the tone would change, obviously. We all knew that white segregationists wanted to see desegregation fail and hoped if they could intimidate and bully us long enough, I want you to catch what she says here. She's going to begin to shatter the narratives, right? And hoped if they could intimidate and bully us long enough, we would give up and quit. I had already made up my mind that once I started, once I started, already made up my mind, once I started, no matter what happened, I would not let them run me off under any circumstances. She said, "Uh uh-uh, I know who I am. You may say there's no way this is who I, I know who I am and I know what I can do. Begins to shatter all those false narratives. So check this out. There she is. Two years later, she would graduate from Little Rock Central High School. And during all of that mess and all of that junk, here she is, um, and she would graduate uh, from Little Rock Central High School. And um, can you imagine two years of being attacked, abused? And you can read the, you can read the uh, book. You can grab the book from Amazon and read it. And it just, the stuff, I mean, I've only shared just a thumbnail of what she endured. But um, she graduated after a couple of years. And then she would go on and continue to shatter, continue to shatter those false narratives because she would become a successful flight attendant. She would work in entertainment. This is her. And uh, that's her as a flight attendant. That's her as an entertainer. You can kind of see there. But here she is shattering the false narratives, right? There may be people, there may be uh, folks around you, there may be the crowds of people that, that speak into you those false narratives that there's no way you are who you say you are and there's no way you can do what you say you can do. But you can move and you can begin to dismantle those false narratives by the actions that you take. What does she operate from? She understood that she was a child of God. She was created, right? She was created. And that again, if we go back to some of the some of the deep-seated issues of prejudice and racism. Essentially, we're dehumanizing another group of people. And guess what? The minute you begin to dehumanize people, guess what? If they, um, um, Dr. King had this great, um, oh, and I can't remember, but uh, he, he, said, he said basically that, that it, when we reduce you to a thing, then we can do whatever we want to to you. And so as those who are oppressed, as those who are marginalized, as those who experience racism, all you have to do, what you begin to do is represent who you are as that created child of God. 
In other words, you always combat the false narratives and you make moves and you, you do things to, to combat the false narrative. Here's probably the most, oh, by the way, she was on the cover of Jet Magazine too. On the cover of Jet Magazine. She went through all of this stuff, but she said, it does not matter. I know who I am. Don't let the skin fool you. I'm a beautiful black woman. And I have ability and capacity. And God created me to do things. She, was, she, she tells this right here. And again, it just underscores her mindset. She says that years later, one of the African-American students that she was at, with at Central High School and one of the white students from Central High School during that era when she went to school there were talking years later. And the, the white woman remarked that she felt like Sandra, my grand aunt, was a little uppity and thought that she was better than everyone else. And this is what she writes in her book to respond to that. She says, she was obviously confused. (laughs) She's a little salty too, I love that. She was obviously confused because what she described as a bad attitude and me thinking that I was better than white people was merely a black person who didn't like being physically and verbally assaulted. But more importantly, I was a black person who was exhibiting pride, strength, and who was not seeking anyone's approval or friendship. Although I did not reject friendship, making undesirable, catch this, man, making undesirable friends or getting their endorsement was not my mission or my goal. I don't live for them. I know who I am. I know what I am capable of. I know that the God of the universe created me. So here's the thing. Um, and it comes through in Jesus' story. If you go back, if you go to verse 30, <clears throat> let me, oh, sorry. It was fortunate for me that I had good self-esteem. This is, this is the last part of the quote. I missed it. Sorry. It was fortunate for me that I had good self-esteem, a support system, and a strong identity. There's that word. Remember, remember that number one false narrative? You can't possibly be who you say you are. She says, I had a strong identity to counter the constant abuse. Shattering the false narratives. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, Jesus, towards the end of that section that we're looking at, he comes to Nazareth. He causes a stir. It doesn't, doesn't initially start out that way, but eventually he causes a stir. And um, it is not, um, and, and this is probably the most significant act of defiance in this whole episode that I love from Jesus. And I see it in, in Aunt Sandra's story as well. It says here in verse 30, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Think about that. He encountered unbelief at an extreme level, fueled by two false narratives. There's no way you are who you say you are, and there's no way you can do what you say. Intense unbelief, intense um, lies, and then a hostile crowd. The the minute you begin to shatter all the false narratives, the minute you begin to to destroy those false narratives, you're going to bring on some violence, baby. Is you're messing with people. You're disturbing the status quo. And then they're about to throw Jesus off the, off the cliff. And Jesus is like, uh-uh. 
not today. Let me just walk right on through the crowd because I need to be about who I am. And the agenda I just announced to you, I'm going to go associate myself with the poor and the marginalized. I got to be about my father's business. I don't have time for your unbelief and your nonsense. I'm just, I'm just going to keep on walking through the crowd. And here's my charge to you, friends. Because today, people of color, African-Americans in particular, still have to walk through the crowd. Right, My Aunt Sandra, integrating Little Rock Central High School, a part of that movement in history. She walked down the halls of a school with people who essentially hated her each and every day. And you heard the stuff that they called her, and you saw the stuff that they did to her. You heard a little bit about the stuff that they did to her. That just doesn't even come close. And every day she had to walk through that crowd. She talks about in the book how she just moved through the hallways as quickly as she could. Can you imagine living with that? And today, 2022, black people are still walking through crowds. Here's my charge to you, especially if you're one of my white brothers and sisters. Don't be standing on the side. Join us. We're going to widen the path a little bit. Right? Walk through the crowd with us. Even if you don't fully understand it, even if it don't feel right to you, even don't just just. Get on the journey. Trust that sometimes sometimes walking in the store is walking through the crowd for some of us. Sometimes trying to, to, to move about culture and society today is walking through the crowd for a lot of us that look like me. All I'm saying, Jesus walked through the crowd. Aunt Sandra walked through the crowd. We're still walking through the crowd. I invite you to join us. Beautiful. That's one of my favorite songs. Amen. Denise agrees here online. She says she sings this song at bedtime every night with the girls. Mm. Good job. And Pastor Bernie, you hit it. We got in the chat rooms. Amen. Beautiful service. Thank oh, you for letting yes. the Lord lead. Amen. Amen. So now is the time where your questions, comments are going to get answered. Go Amen. ahead and put them in the chat. We have a couple of them right now. Um, let's see. First we have, okay, from anonymous and you can be anonymous. <laughs> when I read about the life of Jesus, what you say makes sense. So why do I see so many people who consider themselves Christians seem to take an opposite stand? I like this question. I'm also excited to hear the answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, there's probably, there's more to being a Christ follower mm. than appearances, you know, give you. So we don't always see um, the full expression of Christ followership, if you will, in people. You really don't get to see that until you get to know people, right? And so um, there's always going to be some, for lack of a better word, discrepancies or incongruities incongruencies 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 okay. that's a big old word right so, let me add it to my uh, vocabulary in people's lives <laughs> there if you look at us a little bit closer out we have some inconsistencies in our lives too this is a big one naturally um but oftentimes when we have to live something out in our day-to-day -day, mm. that's when it comes to fruition because there's only so long that you can pretend friends right <laughs> 
And, and eventually, and we've all kind of seen people in, in hot mic moments. And then we've heard, then we've heard how they really think and feel because eventually it will come out. So yeah, I don't, I, sin causes those inconsistencies and an inability to fully embrace all that Jesus calls us to fuels those, those inconsistencies. And so when it comes to this topic, yeah, um, remember the two great commands. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. Well, then. That's hard. Yeah. If you watch me on a day-to-day basis, I'm probably not real good at loving my neighbor. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? I'm not happy about it, but Re- it's comforting Re- to know that neither's a pastor. <laughs> regardless, regardless of what they look like. Right. Right. And even sometimes what they look like. Right. So there's inconsistencies, inconsistencies, incongruencies in a lot of our lives. We're all sort of on this journey. The difference is, am I going to surrender? Am I going to submit? Let my heart be broken and follow Mm. Jesus. That's the question. That's the the question. Okay. Okay. So we have another question. Um, How did Jesus break the chains of doubt in those people? (laughs) Right. And how can we harness that same approach today? Good question. Yeah, I think, again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that middle word, truth, Jesus was always truth, always transparent. Now, then the ball's back in your court, what you do with that. Mm. You have to, at some point, be converted. You have to begin to believe the truth that Jesus, um, all Jesus can do is, is be who he is. And then we have to fall in love with that who he is and trust and believe him. So how did Jesus do it? Uh, he kept showing himself to be who he really is. Okay. He never veered from that consistency. Okay. He was never something, he was never fake like the Pharisees, mm-hmm. right? He was never a double-faced person. He was consistent in truth. He demonstrated grace, love, and peace, and he associated with the marginalized. And then every one of us sits in a place where we have to deal with who Jesus is. And um, I think... If to, the second part of your question is how do we harness that same thing? That same approach today. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> right. Let's be truthful. Let's be transparent. Let's be real. <laughs> we got to be real, real in every space. That makes it memorable when you do it like I, I, know, I, I will remember you. You'll never forget that. Real. This afternoon you'd be like, real. <laughs> anyway, no, you want to be, you really just want to live out that same yeah. truthfulness and authenticity. But where do we find the most fakeness a lot of times, friends? Church. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of hypocrites hanging out in church. So, I and guess I'm not saying say. necessarily, yeah, I'm just saying we we build facades. Yeah. We pretend, right? right? I'm not saying that sure. we're all hypocrites. We just, just be real. Yeah. Just be who you I are. I know for myself, I kind of, you know, struggle with that as well too, being, having this Christian yeah. title and then what Same. is that going to look like? But I identified in the beginning of your service when you say this month, especially for, and I'm Caribbean American, so African American, black, whatever the yeah, case yeah, is. Yeah. Um, it, it does become a point, but what you said is to walk through. Walk with. through. So I really appreciate it. We have time for one more question. If we didn't get to your question, it will be on the pad- podcast. So tune into the podcast. So the last question is um, from an anonymous person. I grew up in a home of false narratives. How do mm. I respond to those who I love and are closest to me when they share these ideas? Ooh, yeah. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah. So I think we always communicate truth in in love. And um, there's like, you know, grace. That's and truth. easier said than done. I it's will a lot say, easier. But go on. It's a lot <laughs> Are you answering the question? So you're right. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. No, it's a, it, but you do have to um, courageously have these conversations to combat the untruths. And if you stay silent and passive, then there's never transformation, there's never change. So, um, it may be slow and you may have to do it in small doses because it takes a lot out of you Ooh, yeah. when you've been listening to lots of false narratives. Yeah. And so here's a teaching moment about how to enter African-American history month. Don't put it all on the black people in your life to carry that burden of knowing and understanding about black history. Uh, Tammy highlighted her own journey and said, I, yeah, I would have never thought that for a white woman, right, that this would matter. But she went on a journey with someone and learned. She she walked through the crowd and learned and came to a better understanding about Black uh, African-American history. And so I think we all, so speak up, have the conversations. And if they're not willing to listen, then sometimes you got to walk away. Yeah. That walk away. Okay. <laughs> there was another really good question that just came in, but I know we don't have oh, time. God. It is juicy. Okay. It's, it's really juicy. good. So you will have to check out the podcast to hear this. Um, thank you so much for answering the questions. Watch a podcast for the more, for the rest. <laughs> Man. I think I go back over here now. Like I said, Pastor Ken will be back next week. Just love the guy, by the way. Just really honored to, to have him as my pastor. And um, we're blessed to have him here. So I'm going to pray and I encourage you to keep walking through the crowds, friends. Jesus will be with you. Lord God, um, you're an amazing God who loves us all. And um, you are patient with us, whatever journey we're on. And so in this unique, sometimes awkward, uncomfortable journey of learning to love our neighbor, I pray, oh God, that you would just give us that, that holy, uh, compelling to do so. Conversations. Or maybe in a moment, Lord, we need to combat an untruth and we just need to use our voice and speak up. Or we just need to repent even of believing some false narratives. Whatever the case may be, Lord, be with us on this journey. We want to walk with you more than anything else. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. 
Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.